Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Steve B., Craig S., Jackie A., and Brent S. We have a new guest of a returning company with us today. Tim Gabrich is on the program. Tim is the president and CEO of ISO Energy, an Athabasca Basin-focused uranium exploration company with a focus on advancing the hurricane uranium deposit, among other exploration projects, primarily on the east side, Athabasca. ISO Energy is a uranium portfolio holding at Smith Weekly Research. The company is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol ISO and also on the US OTC markets under the symbol ISENF. Mr. Gabrich, welcome to the show. Andrew, thanks very much for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here. Yeah, Tim, it's finally good to chat and uh, it's been great following uh, ISO and also following you as well from back in the Denison days here. But let's kick it off here. I'd, I'd like to just, because you're new to the program, why don't you just throw your resume at us here for some of the audience who may not know you? Sure. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I am I'm a kind of a nuclear guy. I've spent my entire career in the uranium mining uh, or the nuclear industry in general, about 27 years. More than 20 of that was at Cameco, um, most of it in the, the marketing corporate development side, the last seven of which I was VP of marketing here uh, in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan at uh, Cameco's corporate office. You know, over the years, spent a lot of time selling the uranium conversion, you know, working with utilities throughout North America, Asia, Europe. Was down in our Minneapolis office for about eight years when we formed that. Came back to Saskatchewan in 07 and, and joined the corporate development group. And that's sort of at a time when Cameco, uh, you probably recall, they were really growing at, at the time. The, the market was was booming and, and they had a goal to double production. So we were um, scouring the planet for for new opportunities, for, for new deposits, for projects. We were working very closely with a great group of geologists at Cameco. We, that was a time when Cameco invested in Goviax and picked up Yaliri, Kintyre. We were doing things in, uh, we were doing things in the conversion side, on the enrichment side, uh, just, just a lot of growth going on in the company. And then, uh, yeah, and then, like I said, spent the last seven years there until 2017 as the VP marketing, then moved over to Denison. VP commercial there for a couple of years as they were starting to take uh, the Phoenix project, the Wheeler you know project in general, but the Phoenix deposit forward with their ISR technology, which was really a great opportunity, a great great experience. They uh, they really you know really advanced that project over those couple of years, and I was also the chief commercial officer of Uranium Participation Corp uh, up until earlier this year, and of course a lot of excitement around that is that's been. Um, moved into the Sprott hands, the Sprott Uranium Trust. So yeah, just lots of uranium experience, lots of, mostly like I said, on the on the commercial side. And then, yeah, and then just had a great opportunity earlier this year to join ISO Energy. Um, changes going on here, Craig Perry, the old CEO was leaving, um, was approached by Lee Courier, who's the chairman of ISO, of course, the CEO of NextGen. And yeah, just a great opportunity to join ISO at a 
so it's really an exciting time uh, for the company. And I also do a little bit of work for, for NextGen on the marketing side as well. Lots of uh, experience here, pretty diverse, uh, all in uranium and a number of companies. And I'm sure, your, of course, your network is good and has some real depth to it here. Before we get into ISO here, you know, I'm sure you have to have an opinion on the status of this uranium market. Is there any points you'd like to make on the current events and what you see as really the final key drivers to push this cycle onward and upward? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting. I know you have a lot of guests on. It's probably nothing too new, I can say. I mean, for me, and like I said, I spent a lot of time in, in the market and, and, you know, this seven years as the VP of marketing at Camago, we, you know, we, we kind of handled the, you know, the, the, the market outlook and, and strategic planning. And, you know, the more you look at it, it's, you know, for me, it's really all about the fundamentals. And, and so, yeah, you know, I know lots of investors look at the market and go, you know, when's it going to change? Um, why hasn't it changed already? And, and certainly there can be frustrations there, but, you know, at the end of it, the, the fundamentals and everything important is really pointing in the right direction. So when I look at it, I go, look, the, you know, supply has obviously come off in a big way over the last few years, whether it's, you know, certainly curtailment with, with COVID. Uh, but before that, you know, it's amazing to me that it's, it's more than three years already that MacArthur River has been sitting idle, one of the, you know, world's largest, highest grade uranium mines, one of the great mines. And, and, so, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, a lot of hurting in the in this market and for companies like Chemical, but, but you know, the bottom line is that things things are going to change at some point. And, and when you look at the fundamentals and you look at, you know, last year, 120 million pounds of, of primary production feeding into 180 million pound demand in the market, you know, you're eating up a lot of inventories, a lot of secondary supplies, and that can really only last so long. So, I, you know... Strategically, you know, there's also been over the last few years, even without the curtailment piece, you've looked at, you know, guys like Rio Tinto with Ranger. Ranger's now offline. You've got, you know, key mines like Arano's Commonac coming offline this year. You know, it, it's that supply piece and and the fact that, you know, we've always been in a really tough market uh, for 10 years. Um, it, it's it's just inevitable in, in my mind. If I look at all the, the signs and so the supply demand fundamentals look great. But at the same time, you look at, you know, the, the changing narrative around climate change and, and how positive that is, um, which is, is really taking hold, I think, in a big way. I, you know, it's happened before, but I, I, I really tend to think that this time it's really got some traction. And, and even things like, you know, the, the fact that uranium now is being seen as a positive ESG story, which, you know, a few years ago would have been unheard of. But now people are, you know, are tying it to climate change and clean energy production. And so all those things, I, I look at that, there's not one thing uh, that I see out there that's, that's a negative. It, it, they're all really positive pieces pointing towards, you know, a great future ahead. And, you know, when that happens, yeah, it's going to take, you know, more utilities coming in in a, in a, in a bigger way to, to start really procuring and making up some of the, some of the buying uh, that they've, they haven't done over the last few years, I think. You know, if you look out 2025, you're probably, you know, probably still have about a third of their requirements left to to purchase, and that's that's quite a big number for a short period of time, and, and it's probably closer to two thirds uncovered on their on their needs, their uranium needs, if you go out only as far as 2030. So I think I think you just look at that, and you go, okay, the uranium is there uh, that they need to buy, and and the supply piece has has shrunk, and I think uh, I think all the stars are aligning. It's just 
like I said, it takes some patience, but it's just a matter of time. Tim, you uh, talk to some of these buyers and sellers. You have these relationships in place. Of course, you had involvement with UPC. Right now, Sprouts has come out of the gate really strong here um, with some pretty good performance results in the first few weeks of you know ATM program and purchasing. Yeah. I mean, I know you can't speak for those folks, but uh, obviously the thought is is to make this significantly better and to really push and really see what's out there. What's your thoughts on these chain of events? Yeah, yeah. I mean. I think actually, Andrew, I probably underestimated how, you know, obviously there was work behind the scenes to see if Sprott was going to take over UPC for a little while. And, and as I always thought it was, you know, very positive. I didn't really, you know, maybe expect there to be this much excitement around it. But when I step back, I go, you know, yeah, it, I, I can see why there is. I mean, the Sprott guys are well suited, obviously, to, to manage the fund. UPC, I mean, you know, this is, you know, I was only there a couple of years, so I'm not talking about myself, but I think UPC was really actually quite well managed. It was just, you know, there was limitations on how you, how much uranium could buy until, like, you know, you had to be sitting at a certain premium to the, to the net asset value and, you know, and you were kind of beholden to the market for that to happen. So, you know, they would have liked to be buying more uranium, but, you know, conditions didn't really, you know, didn't really fit. Sprott's got a little more flexibility. They don't, they don't need quite the premiums to come in and, and buy in the market. So I think, you know, I think it's the consistency, right? Like they, you know, they've gone out and, and done this $300 million ATM. Um, they they want to build the fund. Uh, they just want it to grow. There's a lot of reasons why they want it, you know, to be bigger. And, and that's good for the market. That, you know, there's no indication they want to ever sell uranium or anything like that. So it, it's really once it's off the market, it's off the market. And I think it's that consistency because they've got the money. There, I don't think there's any hidden strategy there. And you've got sellers, you've got, you know, trading companies, all these guys that hold uh, positions in uranium. And they know that these guys are going to be out there um, and able to buy some of that uranium. And certainly, you know, there's lots of spot uranium buying. Cameco is a big purchaser, all that good stuff. But but lots of times the rest of the market doesn't know exactly when that demand is going to come. And I think the fact that Sprott's there and they're probably going to have fairly consistent uh, demand in the market really um, it's really an interesting piece. It's going to, it's going to definitely allow for some, um, some price determination out there and, and give, give people confidence that when they have little bits of uranium to sell, that there's going to be a place to sell it to. Um, so yeah, I think it, I think it's good for the market. I think those guys will do a great job. They've got a, a really great group of uranium specialists that the WMC guys working for them, they know the market. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's going to be really positive, um, going forward. Yeah, I thought this was going to be a slower roll, Tim, and it mm -hmm. turns out to be that it appears that if they keep this up, and we'll see, we we need some more time yeah. for this to settle in, but uh, as we've indicated earlier this year, that this possibly can cut off some of the timeline here, and so that's a little bit disruptive from a allocation standpoint, and for those looking sure. to allocate capital here, and then also it's a bit of a disruption for those who uh, have longer term plans that higher prices don't necessarily suit their needs yeah. at this time. Of course, later do suit their needs, but maybe in the uh, short term don't. So it's a little bit of a, a mixed bag here, but you know mm -hmm. we're glad to see it. I mean, we're positioned really well to see this move forward, should it move forward quicker than expected. You know, we'll see what happens. It's going to be an exciting fourth quarter and also, you know, Q1, Q2, 2022 as well. You know, you, you talked a little bit about Cameco. You have experience there, obviously, in the past. What do you think about their current pipeline 
we've certainly looked at this and have had some concerns about uh, their pipeline with respect to M and A um, early in the cycle. Here, it looks like you know their two core assets probably at best have you know, seven eight years left in them once they kick off again. By any measure, Tim, in the natural resource sector, this mine life is starting to tick down here, and good portions of this already have been depleted. What do you think is going through their mind here as far as you know pipeline in the future? Yeah, I mean, you know, I can't speak for those guys, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, I mean, Cigar Lake, sure. I think Cigar, you know, it's it's back running. It's only got, you know, a certain period of time, maybe through the end of the decade. You know, there is Cigar Lake phase two. Um, obviously, I think the general thought is that right now, maybe too expensive to develop. That said, I mean, I think there's also, you know, uh, if I'm them, I'm sure they're looking at, well, how are some of these other developers, you know, looking to advance projects that maybe aren't aren't, you know, as big as Cigar Phase 2. Um, you look to the denizens, like, you know, maybe there's an innovation piece going on where, yeah, you know, maybe we can't do Cigar Phase 2 as a underground jet boring, but maybe there's other ways. Uh, you know, again, this is not any insight, but I, I just go, I'm, I'm sure they're looking at different ways to make those things work. Um, MacArthur River, I think MacArthur does have, you know, MacArthur's a great mine. They've been, I know they've been doing a lot of work while it's been shut down. To make sure that when they come back online, it's even more efficient. Uh, it's running, you know, uh, better than it, it did in the past. So I don't know what that means right now for their costs, but maybe they're able to bring those costs down. And and I think it does have, you know, there's significant um, uh, resource reserves still there. So I think it, it it does go out longer certainly than cigar. And then you know they've got various projects where it's millennium. They've got you know you even look at at projects like Yaliri in in Australia. I mean. You know, some of the stuff that they've bought over the years, these are decent, good um, projects, deposits, especially in a different price environment. So I think they do have, you know, they do have options there. They do have a bullpen of projects that it's just a matter of, you know, which one makes the most sense. You know, certainly is there innovation we can apply to bring down costs and make it more viable in today's market and maybe the market they see out in the future. And then, yeah, do they have, you know, some M&A interest out there. I mean, it's always possible, right? There's always talk in the industry about, you know, which which uh, you know which of the projects or companies out there is Camago going to look to uh, kind of set it up for the future. And I'm sure I'm sure those discussions are going on. I know they they go on all the time. It's just a matter of timing and you know, can you afford it and and what's your outlook for the market? I guess. It's an interesting set of circumstances. Uh, obviously, there will be a point in time where these producers are going to be printing some good cash flows. Yeah. What do we do with those cash flows at that time? How do we capitalize our projects? When do we do that? It's certainly walking a tightrope, if you will, here to try to, to see this thing extend out and keep those mine lives up and develop the pipeline and so forth. So it's going to be interesting to see how these these bigger producers get through this as we move here. You took over the, uh, the leadership from Craig Perry. Yeah. Back around, I think it was February of this year. Tell us why you took the job. Who got you into the interest in ISO Energy, who gave up your Denison position? So maybe just talk about that and what was the reasoning? Well, I'd like to say it was, you know, there's a long, you know, very well thought out laundry list of why you do these things. But, you know, it was, it was just some real interest there. I, you know, I, I had no desire or interest in leaving Denison. I, I, I was really enjoying working with Dave Cates and the team there. And, and certainly UPC was, there was a lot of fun stuff going on. So yeah, I wasn't looking for a change. You know, I I know Lee Courier and, and certainly, you know, got to know him over the last few years. Um, 
especially since uh, since after I left Cameco, you know, we we've kept in touch and and we've talked a lot about you know as NextGen takes their project forward, Arrow, you know, maybe you know helping them out, given you know my background has been the market and and that for for decades here. So you know we kept in touch on that and. But they, you know, they haven't they haven't progressed that to the point where they really want to put a, a marketing team or anything in place. And so we we never, you know, we never pursued anything for for a little while. And then he came to me and just said, "Look, we've got this uh, opportunity. Craig uh, is moving on uh, to other other things he's got going on, and we need a new CEO. Would you be interested to come and run ISO Energy?" And I and I've been following ISO. I mean, I think in a lot of ways a very unique story in the uranium space, and certainly. Coming out of 2020 with their drill results, it became you know a company that was you know like a lot of other juniors looking for that that life changing uh, deposit that they discovered, and then they found Hurricane had some great results, and all of a sudden you're looking at a company that's you know still a, a small junior, but you know two to 250 million dollar market cap, and you know it really opened the door to do some some more fun things, and I thought you know these opportunities and you don't don't come along every day, and you know, I, I wouldn't say like, you know, you said before, I wasn't looking for something, but it was hard to, to say, yeah, no, I'm going to pass on this and, and uh, you know, see if other opportunities come along or something. Like I thought, this is, this is a great opportunity. And and really, it, you know, it's unique in a lot of ways, but one of the other ways it's unique is it's backed by, by NextGen, who still owns just over 50%. And so there's a ton of support there. So you're a, a junior mining company with uh, a good deposit, um, good, you know, good financial backing, and you got someone like NextGen that's really got your back, and it's a really unique and, you know, it's just a great opportunity. Agreed, and that's one of the key factors that we looked at when, besides Craig, of course, but uh, yeah, yeah, no, they did, the and they factors. did a great, they did a great job. I mean, don't get they, they did such an amazing job taking this company forward. Craig's a great guy, and you know, one of the things for us was when we looked at this to add to our portfolio was the fact that uh, a lot of this is you know carried, if you will, by NextGen, and this is just a useful structure for what you, we've got set up here, and uh, I think this will continue to serve pretty well as the company advances. Well, why don't you just go ahead and give us a uh, just a quick status update of you know operations at ISO Energy here? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, so like I said before, 2020 was an exciting year coming out of their summer program in, uh, you know, like over a year ago now, or just right around a year ago, you know, they had, you know, really some great results. You know, I, we keep pointing to some of the best holes we had, you know, one of the holes there, you know, seven and a half meters at almost 40%, uh, three and a half meters at close to 70% uranium. So really, you know, kind of life-changing stuff for a company like ISO. So, you know, the guys, the team was really excited going into the winter to, to follow that up. And of course, you know, we were in the, the midst of COVID, and and uh, there wasn't there wasn't like a law or restrictions, you know, saying you couldn't go and do the work up there. But the government came out uh, in December of last year and said, look, if you can at all avoid going up and doing any work in northern Saskatchewan, please do it because um, you may not know, but like in Saskatchewan, you know, we were hit pretty hard by COVID, like a lot of places. But it was really in northern Saskatchewan and those communities up north. Uh, the communities that we work around that were hit the hardest and you know of course they're they're isolated they don't have the resources to, to a lot of time to deal with uh you know if, if people are sick there's not hospitals next door or anything like that so we thought we really wanted to respect the government's wishes and and even more so respect uh, the communities that we work in so we took the decision to not do a winter program we knew you know we thought things were going to get better and we'll we'll pick it up when when we can so 
so we held back, um, and I know I don't know if that was frustrating for investors, but but certainly you know probably a little disappointing. But I'm sure most people understood it. Um, but now uh, we great team in place, and and things obviously got a lot better over the spring and summer, and we're back up at site. We've got a you know really an exciting summer program that we're really in the midst of right now. One change we made this year is the last two years we're really focused only on the Rockies and Hurricane. After they they you know struck that deposit back in July of 2018, it's really been all about Hurricane and the Rock, and it's still by far our focus. We have a lot of work to do there, but we but we also you know right now we're we're well supported and and we've got all these other great deposits. So we we spent a little bit of time already on the Geiger deposit. We decided to okay the Rock will be our focus, but Let's sink a few holes at Geiger. It's one of our, the deposits or the sorry the properties that we've liked the best from really from the outset, and we've been off it for a couple of years. So we just finished up a 12-hole program there. We're just in the midst of getting you know geochemical work done at SRC here in Saskatoon. So you know we'll start to get some results back from that in, in the next few weeks. The team has just made the move back up to the Rock East. In fact, the the guys are are driving up. This week, and we plan to be drilling at La Rock East starting this week. That's going to be about a 30-hole program, about 12,000 meters. We, you know, right now we're looking at about 12 expansion holes. We're still, you know, as you know, we haven't put out a maiden resource yet, and it's not because we, you know, want to drag it out or or drag our feet on it. We just want to make sure that we know what we have, and and we're still finding really great results around the edges of that hurricane. Uh, deposit. So we wanted to spend some time making sure that we did it right. And when we have the the uh, the results that we come up with the right number, you know, right off the bat. So so we'll do some expansion there. We'll do a little bit of infill. And then we're also going to do probably 14 holes of exploration up along um, the, the Rockies. There's a, you know, really a 15 kilometer conductor trend, you know, out to the east of Hurricane. And, and so we really want to do some exploration there as well. So so that's that's the drill program. We're doing some geo. We did some ground geophysics on the rocks east earlier this uh, this summer, right before we did the Geiger drilling, and we'll do some airborne geophysics on our Collins Bay extension as well this summer, and and that'll be that'll be the program, Andrew. Yeah, Tim, that sounds great. I appreciate that. And I was going to ask about some of the other projects uh, before coming back to Hurricane mm-hmm. here, but is there any other plans, radio, uh, some of these other? Uh, projects that you guys have obviously these are you know somewhat non-core at this moment but maybe just talk about the plans for some of the other projects do you guys fully intend to keep all of these projects under your umbrella is there any potential for you know jv monetization earn in or is this going to remain under the umbrella that's a great question and, and certainly there's there's work to be done there but you know just i guess to step back you know some of the stuff that has been done the team before i came here obviously did a great job getting ISO to where it is today. One of the things they really did well um, after they, you know, were spun out of NextGen in 2016, you know, they had five properties, you know, and they were spun out in 2016, which, you know, if you look back now, you can kind of see it as probably the the absolute bottom of this whole, you know, the uranium business coming out of Fukushima, right? Like, you know, things have been kind of on the uptick for the last couple of years as we've supply demand has changed all that. But, at the really at the bottom of it, they you know they formed ISO, but they had good backing, good good resources, good access to capital, and so they went out and picked up a ton of great properties, properties that you know people had been working on and just kind of left behind because you know the capital dried up. So you know they put together this this huge portfolio with really with a, a view that some of these are not projects 
we we really probably want to spend a lot of time on, but but others are going to as as the market improves. And sure enough, the market has improved. Um, we've done a couple of deals. You've probably seen we put three properties into a company called 92 Energy that recently floated on the Australian stock exchange. So they've got those properties. We did an option agreement with uh, Consolidated Uranium for the Mountain Lake project in Nunavut. That project come out. And so, yeah, we've now got 24 properties, you know, over 240,000 hectares of land. And yeah, to your question, we're definitely looking at, you know, what are our priorities? And we've certainly got a laundry list, you know, A, B, C, and all the way down the, the line. And it's really, yeah, we really need to spend some time going, okay, which of these, you know, do we want to try to hang on to, recognizing that we won't do some work on them for a little while, or is there, are there other, you know, things we want to do? I Personally, I don't want to probably do a lot more uh, spin-outs where you help form, you know, other companies that are out here and basically end up having, you know, competitors in the region. And not that that's a big deal, but I think the better plan is something you mentioned, you know, do you do some JVs with some existing companies that you that you trust and you, you, you think do a great job. I think there's an opportunity to do some of that for sure. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll take that away. Like right, right now we're focused on the Rockies, Geiger, uh, definitely a priority. We're going to, like I said, do some, some geophysics on, on the Collins Bay extension. That's a, a piece that the guys are very excited about taking a look at. Um, and we have a bit of a new team as well, right? So when Craig left shortly after that, Steve Blower, our VP of exploration left and Steve's a great guy. He had, other opportunities but since then you know we've kind of brought the team back together and our our new vp of exploration is is a guy who's really doing lots of the uh the work on the rock right from the get-go andy carmichael he's a you know i've got to know him over a few months and i'm just you know more and more impressed with him every every time i talk to him so we we promoted him to vp exploration he's doing a great job so far uh and will continue to and and we've also brought on uh, a gentleman uh, named Dave Thomas, who you might be familiar with. Um, he's, you know, a 40-year veteran of, of uranium exploration, uh, knows the Athabasca Basin like nobody else, you know, probably on the planet. And he worked at Cameco for years. I, I know him really well from when we did corporate development work, you know, kind of around the globe looking for some of these new deposits. And and he's come in as a technical advisor that's, you know, going to bring enormous benefits to the team here, you know, just giving them some background, all, you know, access to his, uh, you know, his, his knowledge. And, and we'll use that to kind of figure out, you know, exactly what is the strategy aside from, you know, the core ones we want to work right now. What are, what are the other ones in the, in the portfolio that we want to work over the next two, three years? A lot of competition in the Athabasca Basin area. And then also there's been a kind of an influx of more, <clears throat> really a handful of ASX listed uh, juniors that have come in and, you know, picked up something somewhere in Athabasca. And so there seems to be more interest in some handful of Australian companies coming over to North America, picking up various projects and so forth as things start to point forward. Well, why don't we take a step back for a moment? And it's been a while since, you know, Craig was on the show last, but talk about the current share structure as things stand today, Tim. Uh, shares out here, major holders. Of course, we know NextGen's a big holder and also the current cash on hand and how you see the cash outlook here and potentially for the need to finance. So today we're sitting just under 99 million shares outstanding. Um, you know, we've got, we've got, you know, I think 4 million, right around 4 million warrants outstanding, just over 8 million options. And uh, we've got just over 9 million uh, in convertible debt, 9 million shares in convertible debt. There. So, you know, fully, 
fully out there is what 120 million shares. Yeah, I mean, as far as the ownership, as I mentioned before, obviously our biggest, most important shareholder is NextGen. They've got just over 50% still, and and uh, you know, every indication very interested in making sure that they they maintain that that ownership structure. Um, yeah, there's you know, we've we've got some some good institutional shareholders in there, some bigger, smaller. I mean, I think. You know, it's hard to kind of keep track of it all the time, but you know, obviously we're up, we're on Global X. Has got some of us uh, a little bit from Sprott and CQS and some of these guys, and obviously those things change over time. And but you know, there's uh, a decent float there for retail as well. Um, you know, but but with NextGen sitting at at 50 you know plus percent, um, you know, we're we're fairly you know still fairly tightly held. Uh, I would say as far as cash, we're in a good position. Uh, we've got as of the beginning of the month, we had over $14 million, well, 14.4 at the beginning of August. You know, a little bit of money coming back in through through options and warrants uh, from time to time. So the program this summer is, you know, it's likely to be just over, you know, $5 million for that uh, for that program I, I kind of went through. And, and yeah, I mean, as far as, uh, you know, access to capital, I'd say since I, since I came in here, um, there's been lots of, you know, lots of ability to go out and raise money. And, and you know, it's a discussion I've had already with the board several times. You know, we're, we're well cashed up. Um, we can certainly pay for this summer's program. And, and even if we didn't raise money, we'd, we'd get through next winter and beyond. So it's just a matter of, you know, do you, you know, do you want to go out when you can and just pad the bank account? And, and, and we just kind of took the position, no, we'll, we'll, we'll wait it out a little bit until we, we actually need it. Um, we, you know, we, we believe in the market. I mean, we're not, as I said before, we don't, we don't know when the market's going to turn, but we think everything in the market is very positive. We, you know, we're confident in our drill program. So we're up there drilling. So, so let's wait and see, you know, what kind of results we have and, and where the market goes. And, and we feel pr- pretty comfortable that, you know, when we do need to go to the market, it'll, it'll be there for us. And, uh, yeah, and not that they're, you know, the piggy bank or anything, but, but again, you know, we have next gen backing us and, and that puts us in a little bit more of a comfortable position that, you know, we do have someone like them watching our back a little bit and gives us a little bit more comfort and ability to be flexible on those on that capital raising. Some good points there with having them back there should they need to bridge a gap for you guys in the future. If market conditions, you know, aren't good at the time when you need cash, I don't specifically see that happening in the case of ISO but also that the share price could be higher in the future when you guys do decide to raise. And obviously that makes sense here to put some more results on the table here before that happens. Yeah. Um, I want to come back to uh, LaRock and Hurricane here for a moment. Yeah. Um, talk about, for, for maybe some of the audience isn't familiar with what's been drilled out yet, what's left in this as far as, you know, where is it open? Is there more at depth? Uh, maybe just yeah. cover some of that here and then also what you foresee as the plans for hurricane over say the next 18 months tied in with when do you think is a good time to put out a initial estimate? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. So like I said, you know, we're, we're there doing some expansion holes and over the next, and we'll be up there all of September and probably most of October. And yeah, I mean, certainly to the south. I mean, to the south is where we have, you know, even on the outer edges. Like if you look at our corporate presentation on our website, you'll see, you know, a diagram of of Hurricane, and you know, there's the red, 
you know, part in the middle, but you go to the outer edges and, and even there you're, you're still coming up with some good hits, you know, a few percent uranium over several meters. And, and that just leads us to go, okay, we don't have, we don't have the outer edges of it yet. So let's, let's do that work. There's certainly to the South, but also, you know, there's, there's parts to the North that look good. And, and like I said, that conductor runs out to the, to the east like 15 kilometers not that that would be an extension of hurricane but but there's certainly some work to be done even on the on the eastern side of uh of the deposit that we found so far so you know you know our thinking around the maiden resource is really just try to be really practical about it like if we go there this summer and we do some drilling you know, for this expansion and it turns out oh that wasn't super exciting but we now have a better sense of where the edges are then then yeah we'll have to seriously look at a decision to call a resource and if we have some great results and we go man like this turned out fantastic we're still striking some some really interesting areas you know it's very possible we might make decision okay well let's do a winter program and 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 again not to drag it out but let's make sure we we know what we have before we call that initial resource because as you know better than most like once you do that you can certainly add to it but but that initial resource is really important to get the you know, when you get the message out there and sort of the, the interest around around the company. So, so we want to do it right. But, you know, I would say, you know, it's not that far down the road where we really need to make a decision to, to do that. You know, the other interesting piece as far as where does, where does Hurricane go in the future is, you know, if you look again at that, that diagram on our, on our presentation, you know, the, the sweet spot of, of what we found so far comes right up against the border of our project. And, Right on the other side of that project is, is the Don Lake project that's um, owned by Cameco and Arano. Um, it's operated by Cameco. Um, you know, there's part of the story is over there as well. And, and certainly we we talked to Cameco and the Arano guys, and, and I think, you know, there's certainly interest over there. I'd, I'd say, you know, when I started six months ago talking to Cameco, maybe, you know, there wasn't a, a ton of interest or plans to go to the other side of it. Um, you know, I, I don't have any real insight, but I, but I am hearing that there's maybe more interest from their side to, to do some work on the other side of, of where Hurricane is. And so I think that's, that would be really great to see. And that's an important piece of the story to see how, how that deposit actually plays out. Because, you know, as you go down the road and you start thinking about, okay, is this something you're going to develop? You know, you really would like to have the full picture. And so there's, I think there's part of the story to be written there as well. So we'll see, you know, sort of what decisions or plans Cameco and, and Arano might make on the other side of, of the deposit as well. It sounds good. I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out of the upcoming program here and then how some of our figures, you know, compare to what you guys finally come out with. It's always good to, to check back and forth and see if we're close on what yeah. might uh, the potential be here. Well, that sounds good. I'm looking forward to seeing more info on that. And, you know, one of the other things is the shares of the company have performed pretty well, even in a market where discovery really isn't being treated too well right now, as it will obviously be treated much better later on in the cycle here. But you're also entering into a potential stage where this project starts to get looked at from an economic study perspective. Maybe some yeah. boredom starts to set in, Tim, as you know. Yeah. How do you maintain and grow this market cap mm -hmm. given the status of the company today? We certainly, like I said, we don't, we don't want to drag things out on hurricane. We we need to probably come up and and you know make some decisions on a, a resource you know soon. I, I think I think some of the interest around that project and and that deposit in in general will be um, certainly like I just said on the other side. You know, is there some interest in work being done um, by Cameco or Rano? I think you know if you do kind of move to the point where you're you're looking at development, I think 
a big part of it. And I think, you know, I think um, Nexton's done a good job of this and Denison, I think has done a great job of this too. Like, you know, some of the interest is around, you know, finding the right way to mine this thing if, if you're taking it forward. So, you know, it, it's at the point where, you know, it's an unconformity hosted deposit. Uh, you know, one of the benefits ISO has with Hurricane is it's, it's really quite shallow compared to a lot of deposits in the basin. So only 325 meters. And you've got a lot of interesting things going on in the basin. So you've got Denison with, with, with in situ recovery, which, you know, obviously I'm, I'm a little biased because I was there, but I, I'm a big believer and I think they're doing a great job and I think they're going to have success with that. So you've got to start looking at, well, how does that apply to something like a hurricane or a Rano? Rano is very excited about their saber technology, you know, drilling from surface using jet boring kind of technology, but no underground. And so really, you know, this, this, this innovation piece around being able to, able to develop these high grade deposits in Northern Saskatchewan, which, you know, don't come without their, their issues, right? All the water, all the, you know, inflows like cigar macars are very challenging because you've got all the freezing and you get to get underground and stay safe and, and keep the project open. Now you've got all these other, you know, these innovative um, techniques kind of coming, come to light. And, you know, are they something that can be applied to hurricane? I think that's, that's going to be part of the interesting story going forward. Uh, Andrew, that maybe keeps the excitement going on that project. And then the other part will be really, you know, the great team of, of geologists with Andy and, and guys like Dave and our, and our, we've really got a great uh, team of geologists here, how we go about leveraging the great portfolio that the ISO team put together before I got here. You know, they've, they've got all these great properties. They picked them up, you know, at a unique time when, you know, today you wouldn't get this, this, this portfolio that we have. And so we will, you know, we will look to, to go in there and, and, do a lot of exploration, you know, whether it's Geiger, Collins, you know, Collins Bay Extension, or some others, and really try to, you know, make ISO into hopefully a, you know, a multi-asset company, not just a, a you know, a single-asset hurricane company. And you know, you always have this decision, you know, to go full-on development, you know, and I think then you you turn a lot of your attention away from exploration, and you know that may that may very well happen down the road. But like I said before, we you know we're kind of at a unique position. We've got these properties, we've got access to capital, and it seems like a lot of support from the market and shareholders to go and and leverage those properties we put together. So I think that's going to be, you know, a big part of the the ISO story over the next months and, and couple of years. I think you can advance to all of those goals. I think that uh, you know, obviously, Hurricane can be a, a cornerstone, and then also mm -hmm. if you guys can manage to to have a good stroke of luck here and find some other two to three deposits under one umbrella across your properties, I think that uh, it starts to show a pipeline. It starts to show what the uh, potential is here. And then, of course, you know, obviously the shares get respected as a result here. So yeah. I think that makes sense to keep the good stuff and have a strategy in place, which it appears you guys have a good piece of this strategy in place here. Notwithstanding that also something that bigger companies are going to keep an eye on, especially chemical being in the back door there. And as you said, this whole region is highly competitive. Come back here for just a moment and talk about, you know, you've had some experience here as well, being over at Denison and, of course, your time at Chemical. But, you know, Tim, you've looked at this and all these companies, developers, you know, you look at a, a Fission, you look at a Next Gen. What do you see as really a timeline here for advancing projects in this region, maybe irrespective of the technology? Obviously, ISR is probably going to get a little more love on the permitting front and social front. But talk about realistically, what's your candid view on what you see? based on your experience in Canada, as far as lead time for permitting and building out a project like this? 
it's a great question. I mean, you know, it's interesting because in Saskatchewan, uh, we talk about it all the time. I mean, it's one of the great mining jurisdictions, you know, on the planet. Like we were ranked number one, I think, the mining journal ranked us number one this year. We were ranked number three by somebody else. And, and so you look at that and you go, yeah, I mean, there's tons of support here for the industry. That said, you know, okay, so that's, you know, the province here is very supportive. Federally, it's very supportive, but, you know, you add on the fact that we're uranium and, and yeah, you get into very, you know, um, challenging regulatory regimes. You're dealing with the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission who are, you know, great to work with, but, but there's lots of other, you know, pieces of the puzzle going on there. And, and, uh, and, and the communities we work in, I mean, we, we work with some really fantastic people up north and these communities really, you know, they deserve uh, as much, you know, um, as we can do to, you know, to include them, to, to uh, work with them. But, but even some of those relationships are, you know, they, they take time and they take a lot of uh, effort to make sure that everybody's comfortable that you're doing the right things and the right things, you know, for the communities and also for shareholders, stakeholders, you know, within the company. So it takes time, you know, obviously next gen and, Denison are, you know, in, in my mind, the, the 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 leaders here. They're, the, you know, the forefront of this. De- Denison, you know, it's a smaller, bit smaller project. I mean, I think ISR, you know, maybe will, uh, as far as licensing, will, you know, they'll have a, a pretty decent time with that. There's no, you know, above ground tailings, all that. But it is a technology that hasn't been used in Saskatchewan before, and so that that will also, you know, um, I think the regulators are getting very comfortable with it. But you know, that could take some time and. And next gen, you know, they're putting a lot of time and effort into advancing aero, and but but these things take time too. They've got you know unique tailings uh, ideas that they're putting forward. It's you know it's a big project. You know it'll require a mill, which you know they're they're working very hard to to get all the pieces in place. But those those things will take time on the on the licensing and permitting side as well. So yeah, I mean they're they're full on. Dennis is full on it. But but even from this point forward, I think they're still you know. If you look at 2025, I think if, if someone can bring on new production by 2025, I think they're probably doing quite well, very well. Um, but it's probably even a little, you know, maybe a little bit beyond that is uh, that 2025 period that maybe people thought two or three years ago would be possible. I think, you know, you're probably you're probably a year or two out from there, maybe. You know, that's just my my gut feel. But but they're certainly advancing, and, and I have no doubts that they they will come on and they'll get the the permitting and approvals that they need. Yeah, 26, 27 time frame is kind of what I have in mind as more or less the earliest side of things. And look, I mean, 2022 is just in front of us here. Exactly, um, yeah. So yeah. it's uh, going to be interesting on that front. And then also who stands out to be the leader on the front end here? I mean, obviously, Denison has some advantages with what they've set up and they have some fallback components as well. And so it'll be interesting to see, you know, who gets some of those initial things sorted out. And Obviously, as price continues to go up and interest in the cycle continues to rise, uh, yeah. there's going to be more efforts and more money thrown at these problems. Uh, that's just inevitable that that'll happen. Yeah, interesting to see and, and always good to get some other views on what part Athabasca has to play here as far as new development goes compared to the rest of the world and various parts and pieces that are going to make this up as we go here. We're going to be in completely a different market in 2025, 2026. Tim, back to the old strategy, just kind of in strategy for this company. What do you see? I mean, there's, you know, folks that think that, you know, the exits of some of these majors in the past, that maybe there's not as much appetite for buyouts in the future and more so for more independent companies to advance and develop and, you know, build out and commission a, a mine. 
you know, yeah. what do you think the end strategy really is? Do you think that in the end, this is a buyout? It's a good question. I, you know, I think there's a few things here. I mean, obviously, you know, next gen's again, they're 50 plus percent. So they're going to, they're going to have a big say in, in what the future of ISO energy looks like. Right. And how, so it's going to depend a lot on, on what they want to do for sure. Like I said before, they're, they're very supportive. They, they love the company, the project, the, the portfolio that we have, and it's a great fit for them at the moment. You know, if they, if something happens and, and all of a sudden they're not, you know, as big a shareholder then I, yeah, then you probably open yourself up to, uh, to uh, being a bit of a target. I, I look to, you know, again, the other side of the hurricane deposit where it's Cameco and Arano. Um, you know, one of the other things I guess I didn't mention, I mean, I mentioned one of the strategic benefits, 325 meters, it's shallow, but we're also 40 kilometers from the McLean Lake Mill, right? So that's actually huge. And, you know, we we set ourselves up as an Eastern Athabasca company. And, you know, part of that, um, is the fact that we are right in the middle of all the infrastructure. We're near roads. We can drive up to our the Rockies project. We've got power there. And then, and then when you get that close to an existing mill, you've really got a strategic advantage because uh, you know there's only there's not that many mills as you know in, in northern Saskatchewan. So, so that's you know, are you interest you know of interest to to others? You know, Arano's right there. You know, I think again it'll depend. You know, if they do some work on the other side of the deposit, what do they find? Uh, you know, it wouldn't be unheard of that they would gain more and more interest, I guess, um, in Cameco. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. You know, it'll be interesting. Like you said, you know, you get the Rio Tintos and some of these big companies kind of seem seemingly exiting the market, although they got Rough Rider and all that good stuff. But it'll be interesting as you know, nuclear um, gets a more and more positive narrative around climate change. You know, the market goes up. You know, will you have, you know, maybe other big mining companies or other, you know, big companies that aren't in the sector yet and maybe a few years ago couldn't imagine getting into uranium starting to kind of perk up their ears and go, yeah, maybe maybe this is something we need to get involved with because it, it looks like it's really gaining, you know, robust interest uh, that we didn't see in the past. So I think there's interesting times ahead on that front as well. I think they'll be back and what will change their opinions will be price and then also the underlying mm -hmm. narrative that you touched yeah. on earlier. I think that the narrative will grow for nuclear here and you might even see new entrants come in as these cash flows start to stack up in other parts of the natural resource sector, as, as you and I both follow, that there will be a return to uh, considerations here. And so much higher prices will change a lot of opinions and a lot of projects, as you know, will be renewed and dusted off and efforts will yeah. recommence on projects that have been sitting for a while. Sure. Well, for potential investors who are on the sidelines listening, market cap of the company stands about 277 million Canadian. What would you say to them at this stage and at current price levels? When I think of Iceland, it's one reason why I, I joined back in February is I think Iceland Energy is really unique uh, as a junior in not just in the Canadian Athabasca, but in, in the uranium space in, in general. Um, you know, you look at, yeah, there's the, the companies that are developing the, the next gen, Denison's, you know, maybe Fission's put it in that category. Um, and then you've got, other juniors starting out, like like I said before, looking for that transformative uh, find that changes the company. Really, there's no one else like ISO Energy that's found you know uh, a really great high grade deposit at decent depths, you know near an uh, existing mill. No one else has gotten anything even close to that in the last few years. So I think it really it really positions us well and. You know, we've got support. Like, like I said, um, Next Gen is incredibly supportive. 
it's you know not only not only the financial side I should you know should mention like you know when I started and and we had some you know changing of personnel you know so we we slowly got our team back in place but but you know next gen was there going listen if you guys need you know some help or you need you know a little bit of work you know help on on the on the expiration side the geological side hey we've got these guys here like have at it you know these guys are here to help on the community relations if you need advice you know come talk to our guys and i'm you know they're they're there you know for us in, in a lot of different ways so that i think also positions us very well to be successful so yeah i just say you know have a look at, at iso look at you know, the property portfolio we have in particular hurricane and just how unique it is uh, over the last few number of years as far as you know a junior uranium company finding a great new deposit what's the best way for investors to reach out to the company tim get a hold of me directly i mean best way to find it just go to our our website isoenergy.ca if you go to the corporate presentation on there i've got my email address it's just tgabrick at isoenergy.ca uh, my phone number is there. Yeah, give me a call anytime. Send me an email. I'll, I'll definitely get back to you anytime. Tim, great to chat. Uh, really good to have you on the show, and I look forward to doing it again sometime. Andrew, this is really fun. Yeah, I really appreciate you, you reaching out and giving us this opportunity. Thanks a lot.